and the Oscar goes to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. And the Oscar goes to Lupita Nyong'o. And the Oscar goes to Halle Berry in Monsters Ball. And the Oscar goes to Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. And the winner is Marvelous Meryl Streep. And the Oscar goes to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. And the Oscar goes to Olivia Colman. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I am Joey Gentili. I'm Brandon Stanwick. And we are your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade, per category, where this week's episode is 1988. Mm -hmm. Come pretty far away. Yeah. I'm really excited, though, because this is a fun year, not only because of, obviously, what came out, but we've got a, uh, a guest with us who is uh, co-hosting today. Yes. And he's actually uh, a buddy of mine who is a uh, working actor out in L.A., um, I do believe you have seen him in Godless. You've seen him on the Disney Channel. Um, he's got Dear White People on Netflix that he's doing a guest spot on that's coming out. So uh, I met him through a uh, a friend who is no longer with us by in the name of Misty Upham. She was an actress known for Frozen River and August Osage County and Cake with Jennifer Aniston. And uh, yeah, I met Craig through that. Um, and we were a part of a kind of like an acting comedy troupe that never that was formed but never really got off the ground called Indigo Children. I was on the East Coast at that time. I'm still here, but uh, I was on the East Coast at that time. And Misty had me on as a writer, and Craig was an actor for it. So cool. that's how we became acquainted all those years ago. Um, and I do believe he's with us now. So welcome, Craig. Hello. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. Of course, of course, of course. And um, you did pretty much all the plugging for me, so I don't. <laughs> so I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do any song and dance. We can we can jump right into it. But, uh, yeah, it's season three, of Dear White People, episode seven. Don't know when it's airing, but um, yeah, that's what we got on tap so far, thus which, far this year. Which I'm really excited for, just because in general, because I do watch the show, but I also like really liked the movie that I've, it's based off. Of. I've only seen the movie. I haven't watched the show yet. You haven't seen the show. Only the movie. So, the movie or the show, the main character. The only way I knew her, I was like, why does she look so familiar? She was Jade in the Bratz movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so that's how I knew her. How was set? How was uh, shooting that? Oh, fantastic. Just a great, fun day. Awesome people all around. The you know, the director, AD, producers, um, casting, you know, every, everyone in the process was awesome. It was a great day. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. So... Um, before we dive in, I kind of want to, because, you know, you're here on a podcast talking about the Academy Awards. Obviously, we record these hella out of order. Um, so we're super fresh off of the 91st Academy Awards from last weekend. Right. Um, so let's kind of get your take on this. So uh, Craig is a voter for the SAG Awards. And then, uh, unfortunately, to weird ass circumstances, I didn't get to vote the spirits this year but brandon I did. did this is my first year yeah for the spirits yeah so that kind of fucked with me i was like oh you can't oh okay thanks for that um but uh so do you want to kind of dive into your thoughts craig on how the uh, oscars went in your favor or not in your favor um yes sure uh okay. well i i 
can't say I was really um, too shocked by any of the winners. Um, I had a feeling Best Picture was going to be either uh, Green Book or or Roma. Mm-hmm. I I definitely thought it was going to come down to one of those two. Happy for Spike. Spike finally winning in screenplay. The Black Klansman. Fantastic film. Um, and no uh, real upsets except one, sort of, in the uh, Best Actress category. It was a little surprised there, but not <laughs> entirely. Right. Considering um, Olivia Coleman had two strong precursors. She had a Golden Globe. She had BAFTA. I'm sure she had other ones that I'm missing uh, at the moment. But, you know, as uh, I was with my dad about this, too, you know, and I said, well, that was kind of a surprise. And he, he was the one who said he was, well, not not really not a total surprise. If you think about it, he said, if, you know, most people had predicted Glenn Close would win. But he said, you know, if she was going to lose to anybody, it was going to be Olivia Coleman. Yeah, she was the most likely to upset her. Yeah, there, there, yeah. there was that like rumor going into it that if someone was going to do it it was coleman but the dark horse upset would have been gaga mm. because of just pretty much of the critics choice tie right correct but i mean the last time the critics choice had a tie was 0809 when when anne hathaway for rachel getting married tied with uh meryl street for doubt and then we see how that turned out right. so wow. neither yeah. Of them yeah. Won. yeah and so this is again neither, neither of them, them won, won. which well, actually an interesting year too with with the category thing yeah going on yeah, for sure uh, that we talked about but yeah i you know i listened to your to, to one of your the i think your most recent podcast going into the oscars and you made that call too you said i i i think that olivia coleman yeah yeah you, you predicted that definitely yeah and i mean if anybody knows uh it's craig for sure uh i have a really good <laughs> eye on who gets nominated like i can I, I can pretty much call who gets the nominee or gets the nomination but i am never right especially in the actress category on who fucking wins uh-huh. like i was no, this was, <laughs> this was, was like first. the first accurate one in how long five six <laughs> no literally since 1994 <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right i have not i mean i'm i i have not been like yeah for for actress since 1994 is Jessica Lane for Blue Sky so I was like I was dude when that happened I was screaming it was like you know whoever plays the Super Bowl just got the winning touchdown like I was like yeah I was so fucking excited and then because you messaged me right afterwards and you were like well there it is and I was just I like, was like Fuck well, yeah. there it is. <laughs> there's the upset because all because pretty much everything had been going as predicted to a T, mm-hmm. um, at least in, you know, in the acting categories yeah. until that moment. Yeah. Well, it's funny because years ago I had made this kind of funny joke because uh, as we get to know here, because now we're touching the 80s, we're getting into Glenn Close territory, is that it's no secret in my circle how I view Glenn Close, and we're going to talk about <laughs> her today. And I was like, oh, okay, like, can you imagine... All these awards happen. Glenn Close is the front runner, has a category of all women who's never won, and then Meryl Streep. So you have like 
Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, Annette Benning, Sigourney Weaver. Who is the fifth one? Let's say like uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. And everyone has their money on close, and then Meryl Streep wins her fourth. Mm. Like, totally upsets. So it's funny because um, Sunset Boulevard, the musical adaptation that's officially getting filmed, you know, that Oscar campaign has already started. Yeah. And I had met such Craig, I was like, watch, this is the year that this happens, when Meryl Streep gets in and gets her fourth. And, it, and someone had posted on Twitter, like... Um, Christine Baranski sees headline for Sunset Boulevard oh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> text it to Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep texts Scott Rudin. So this all about Eve remake you were talking about. I was like, that's it. Let's do it. Um, so I'm excited to see how this goes down. But really quick. Who, who, oh. That would be, though, if you really want to follow history, though, then that would mean uh, a Judy Holiday type would have to come in and uh, upset both of them. Sigourney Weaver. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sigourney Weaver is that upset. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We well, yeah, some so we're doing a double Sigourney year, which I know she's your favorite actress. So I really wanted to make sure that uh, if we did one with you, it was either 88 or 86 with Aliens. Um, but I also too know that you're not biased with this. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Um, really quick. I, this is actually for both of you. Uh, quick soundbite on this because we're actually going to 10 minutes. So we're making good time here. Um, this idea that Spielberg is going to the Academy to block Netflix films. What are your thoughts on that, guys? I don't see the problem with it. Mm -hmm. So long as the movies are, you know, playing in theaters mm -hmm. and following the rules of what it takes to become a qualifying film. I mm -hmm. don't see what the problem is with a Netflix-produced film getting into the Oscars that way. What about you, Craig? I, I, I agree. Same. Um, you know, as long as it's, as long as it's following the, the criteria... I mean, if they don't, if they want to block Netflix in that way, they need to change their rules about how, about what qualifies as a film. Yeah, so my, my, my take on that is I'm not against it, but I do think that if you stream first and then go in the theaters, Emmys, you need to, well, you need to premiere uh, first and then wait a couple weeks and then automatically stream. Well, I think, isn't that why, I don't remember what year it was, but the movie The Last Seduction mm -hmm. with Linda uh, Fio, I don't know how to say her last name. Fio, Fio, yes, there it is. Because she was uh, heavily, um, People thought she was going to be a front runner for a nomination, at least, for The Last Seduction. And then HBO played it before it opened in theaters, and that film was disqualified. And a lot of people think that that would have been her Oscar nomination, perhaps a win. Well, I mean, that even goes back to 1974 with Lee Volman with the Scenes from a Marriage. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, because everyone was like, oh, this is it. She's going to win the Oscar. And then it premiered first on TV. So if they were so adamant about it then, I feel like, listen, I'm not against Netflix films. If they're worthy, do it. However, if you stream first, you should go to the Emmys. I think do what Amazon did with Amazon Studios. Create the studio parts of Netflix Studios to release in theaters. Oh, yeah. Wait those couple weeks and then make it available to your platform only. Like Roma. That's how Roma did. They were in theaters for like, what, three weeks? Yeah, but they streamed first. Did they really? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was in theaters though before it was on Netflix. I mean, do, does it count with? The, I mean, it doesn't count with theaters though if it premieres at like a festival because obviously Academy no, guidelines have it. I think it opened in New York and LA in, okay. like, in like a theater or two, like lim a limited release. I could definitely be wrong on that. I didn't follow I Roma it, as much. I think it did. Yeah. Enough to qualify. Heard that. Heard that. Well, that was uh, that take on that. You guys, ready to dive in? Yeah. Alrighty. Yeah. So. Uh, Take us away. Okay, so your nominees for Best Supporting Actress in 1988 were? From Working Girl, Joan Cusack. From The Accidental Tourist, Gina Davis. 
from Mississippi burning, Francis McDormand. From Dangerous Liaisons, Michelle Pfeiffer. And also from Working Girls, Sigourney Weaver. Okay, right. so let's kick it off with our winner for the year, and that is Gina Davis in The Accidental Tourist. This is her first of two nominations and her only win. And going into this, she didn't really have any precursors whatsoever, not even any critics awards. So she was kind of a, she just kind of jumped into the uh, Oscar race right here. And in The Accidental Tourist, Gina Davis plays Muriel. She's this eccentric dog lady who um, William Hurt ends up getting involved with after he and his wife, played by Kathleen Turner, separate. And they start up a little relationship, he and Gina Davis, because why not? And then his wife comes back into the picture and wants to try to make things right, and uh, their relationship gets a little complicated. So, thoughts on Gina Davis? Um, yeah, this is a really hard movie to get through. It's not fun. Yeah, I did not enjoy it very much. This was my first time watching it. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, first it's, time in a while, yeah. When's the last time you watched it? That's to you, Craig. Me? Well, like two weeks ago, but before that, right. a long, long, <laughs> a long, long time ago. Yeah, the, the movie itself suffers from just being plain old boring. I mean, nothing's really happening, but if we're, I mean, obviously we're focusing here on Ginny Davis. Number one, she's the lead. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I, she's more lead than Kathleen Turner. Yeah, I, I, yes. I think she gets billed after Kathleen Turner. Well, yeah, Kathleen Turner. Correct. Kathleen Turner, yeah, well, Kathleen Turner was definitely I think all, the, the lead. I think we're all in agreement on this one. So yeah. I, I was going to say it, but now I don't have to say it. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a case of category fraud. The, I, I would honestly consider this the Tatum O'Neill of the 80s. Oh, okay. I mean, if, I'm, yeah. if I may be so bold. Um, I mean, Kathleen Turner was billed second for sure because she was the more the leading lady of the 80s at that time. She was yeah. more well-known than Gina right. Davis. Right. I mean, Kathleen Turner going into this was coming off of Peggy Sue Got Married. She had just done like, Body Sue, Heat yeah. and a couple other things. I think uh, Pretty's Pretty's Honor. Honor. Romancing yeah. the Stone had come before this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Gina Davis in this, uh, number one, she's the lead. Um, number two, she's just not good, in my opinion. I think she's, uh, she, she, she does this really fast upspeak, and it... The, her whole role is just like this, and Kathleen Turner didn't get shit to do in this, and it's just like, yeah, like, am I the only one who got that? Yeah, so she has, um, Gina Davis's character in this is kind of that early period of the whole manic pixie dream girl type character that we end up seeing a lot later on. Yeah. Um, I don't think she follows it quite to a T, but this is definitely one of those earlier roles that led to that type of character, I think. Yeah. What she's, say you, uh, Craig? You know, she's... She's like the yeah that she's cute. She's she's like the savior. She's you know she's pleasant. It it to me, to me it you know and like you said with no precursors, it really didn't scream Oscar to uh, to most people. I I think I don't know. I mean you know this was eighty eight, but um, I mean I think she's fine in it. But, you know, once again, it's really, it's, it's not a supporting role. I mean, she's in, like, you know, most, most of it. And, um, but believable, yes, fine. But, again, yeah, not something where you say, wow, that's, that's the one, you know. That's, that's the best of the year. Right. Yeah, it's not even an Oscar role. Like, I wouldn't say that she's bad in it. 
I think she's fine, like Craig said, but this isn't really an this is an Oscar material, and she's not really giving an Oscar performance. I think like I didn't watch this movie and go, "Wow, that's the nomination." I was like, "Oh, this is an inspired choice." Well, I've I've kind of really want to know too because this is literally the year following the infamous Sally Kirkland campaign for Anna. Oh right. So I want to know like what was Gina Davis's campaign to literally pull this nomination out of her ass, but then this win out of nowhere, like. What else? The movie was nominated for. She wasn't the sole nomination, though. Right? Didn't it get uh, some others? For, I think Lawrence Kasdan was nominated for, for the play. script. Yeah, yeah. I think it was also a Best Picture nominee, if I'm not mistaken. Uh... I, what? I think it was. I think you're right. I think Hold it was on, clearly I'm looking, I'm fifth place right Best Picture nominee. But yeah, Joey's quickly gonna fact check us. Wow, yeah, Best Picture. Wow, that was a choice. Yeah. Best Picture, Best Writing for Original... Oh, I'm sorry, Adapted Screenplay, and Best Music for John Williams. Is Gina the only winner? Gina is the only winner. Okay. Wow, that's and awkward. So that was a Best Picture nominee, and there were only yeah. five at the time, right. right? So it's not even an expanded and lineup. What was that campaign like? And Gorillas in the Mist did not get a Best did Picture. Did not. That's, that's wild to me. That's a choice for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I've got nothing to add until the rankings. For yeah, sure. same. So I'm I'm good on Gina for now. Okay. So moving on. Moving on to, to Frances McDormand for Mississippi Burning. This is her first of five nominations, and her precursors going in were the National Board of Review, which she won for. She also won the Kansas City Film Critics and the Chicago Film Critics, and that's pretty much it. She won for the three things that she was nominated for, and in Mississippi Burning, Frances plays Mrs. Pell the wife of a hostile deputy sheriff, played by Brad Dourif, who is the focus of an FBI investigation into the deaths of three civil rights workers. Agent Anderson, played by Gene Hackman, gets close to Mrs. Pell because she's one of the few people in this town that is willing to talk to him about this case and the goings-on of the town. So, thoughts on Frances McDormand? Um, I really like Frances in this. I think it's a solid debut at the Academy. Um, she really is kind of like the heart and the soul of the audience because she, she, she sees everything that's going on. Um, the, I think she has her strong moment for sure, and I, I'm going to be a little bold on this and say it's actually when she's getting the shit beaten out of her by Brad Dorif. I had a feeling that's actually what you're going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. But it, she literally has a whole role here where you forget that she's actually acting because she's so good at, as Mrs. Powell. Um... I like it. I've got no big complaints. I think my biggest complaint, per usual, when it comes to supporting actresses that we've always talked about, is I want more from her. Um, I also think it's really her character's really tragic at the end, where she's like, "I gotta stay here. It's my home. I'm gonna die here." Yeah. Like you have the chance to do better, but she's literally so stuck in that mindset of the South at that time that even though she's not there mentally, she's there physically. Mm -hmm. I like it. I, I I really like Francis in this role. Yeah, so this was my first time watching this movie, too, actually. Was it? Yeah, and I like Francis in this, too. Um, I think this is a solid first nomination. I wasn't crazy about the movie itself. Um, Movie's it, hard to watch. It, it's hard to watch, and it feels dated. Um, it's a little extreme at times. Um, but I do like Francis in it. Yeah. I think she has this sort of... She kind of represents this idea of not all white people are bad sort of character in the movie. Yeah, and yeah. And after a while, like, I kind of, I got it, and after a while, like, for some reason it rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not sure why. She, it felt like a device. Mm. But Frances is doing well in the role. 
and I really dig her in it. And yeah, that ending is so tragic where everything has, bad has happened to her. All this stuff is going on in this town. She's well aware of everything. And yet she feels like she cannot uproot herself and leave yeah. for whatever reason. And yeah, it was a really sad ending yeah. for her character specifically. Yeah. So what do you think, Craig? Um, I really, really like this this role uh, by Francis. Um, it, it had been a long time since I'd seen it too until I rewatched it. And I was just like, wow, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe part of it of me is um, a little weirdly biased because I saw her in her more comedic roles before I saw this film. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Fargo and Almost Famous, um, which, you know, she was nominated and, and won for, for Fargo, of course. So it, it it's... It's something interesting of looking retrospectively, you know, looking back at a younger Francis McDormand who's like uh, almost unrecognizable to the Francis that that I know at least, you know, uh, right. from from the from the Coen brother movies and and other films that she's done and 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 TV that she's done and won acclaim for in recent years, you know, to, to see this young. Southern, you know, it's it's it seems very against type, you know. So and it's you know and like you said, it's like you forget it, it's acting. It's it's so believable and 100% agree with you, Joe, uh, as well. The only the only real complaint is is that you want more. You want another big scene. You know, you yeah. want you, you want even more because you you get hooked and she is you know she is the the soul of of the movie you know with a lot of these you know horribly unlikable characters you know even even our leads you know are problematic and the whole i mean the whole issue of just they're really just you know being sent down there gene hackman particularly you know because they're it's a, a federal crime now being investigated and they you know just they don't trust the the local authorities, but you know, yeah, it's definitely in agreement with what you guys said. You know, it, it feels dated in some ways. It's, it's a, it's a difficult movie to watch. It's, it, it's, um, extreme. Like you said, yeah, there, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of gruesome, really gruesome moments in it. There are that, times that when are, the, the gruesomeness almost became a little too much for me. Mm -hmm. Like, it almost felt like unnecessary. Like, I don't know of another word for it, but it felt borderline pornographic in a way. Like they were going there just to go there. Just, just to, yeah, to, to yeah. like, in your face violence. And like, I understand the reasoning behind it, but at, at a certain point I was like, really? I get it. <laughs> I want to, I want to play a little game here with this movie. Okay. Um, this is for both of you. And then I'll give my opinion on it too. This movie comes out in 2019. Mm -hmm. It's up for the Academy Awards again. Do you not see this as a vehicle for all the characters, though? Like, I would, if I, I mean, I guess I actually, actually have to start it off this way. Um, I would have put Hackman in lead, Defoe and Dorif in supporting, and kept Francis in supporting. Like, I'm not, I'm surprised that's not how it was, mm. because all of them do great work here. Yeah, I think if Francis did have that one more scene, she mm. would be, like, borderline lead, mm -hmm. if she did have a little bit more to do. I think she's she's good where she is now, but if she wasn't any more of the movie, I would be questioning placement. She'd be right on the line. Yeah, true, 
true. And um, what other nominations did the film receive? Refresh my memory. I think it was also a Best Picture nominee. That was a Best Picture nominee. I think nominee. Gene Hackman yeah. was yep. nominated. Gene Hackman was nominated for um, uh, Actor. Oh. It was Best Picture. It won Best Cinematography, which is odd, in my opinion. I looked into the other cinematography nominees. They're all pretty uninspired. Okay. So it made sense. Well, it got Best Directing and Sound and Editing nominations as well. Yeah, when I looked into the other cinematography ones, I was like, oh, this wasn't a very strong year for cinematography. So that one kind of makes sense, even yeah. though it is it is odd that yeah. that's the one that it won for. Very odd year. That is a bit odd, yeah. All right, shall we move on? Sure. Yes. Okay. So our next nominee is Michelle Pfeiffer for Dangerous Liaisons. This is her first of three nominations. Her only precursor, and it's technically not even a precursor, her only win is the BAFTA, but the BAFTAs happened after. Mm-hmm. So she actually won the BAFTA in 1990. So it took a little while for this movie to get uh, across the pond. Which is odd. Wow. Yeah, Very considering odd. the subject matter of this movie. Right. But she did get a couple other nominations. She was nominated for the National Society of Film Critics and the Chicago Film Critics. That's about it. And in Dangerous Liaison, she plays Madame de Tourvel, a virtuous married woman currently staying with the aunt of Valmont, played by John Malkovich. And Valmont has decided to sleep with her and get her to fall in love with him so he can also sleep with Glenn Close or something. <laughs> I've seen this movie a couple times, and I still find it kind of confusing. Do you? All, all the, the dynamics of all the characters. So... Thoughts on Michelle Pfeiffer? Well, let me just start off with, I love Dangerous Liaisons. It is one of my favorite period piece films. Um, I enjoy it a lot, and I really enjoyed it re-watching it. Um, I actually would love to do the John Malkovich role on stage if it was ever an option. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer, however, borderlines lead for me here. I would honestly place her in lead because, in my opinion, she's got a lot more to do than Glenn Close. Um, And I think her character actually drives the story more. I mean, granted, she is a pawn in this game that they are playing, but without her, what story is there? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, acting-wise, I think she's good. I think it's a... I also think this is another example of a strong debut at the Academy Awards. But I think this is one of those nominations that it was like, okay, your, your nomination is your win. Because while it's good, you may not be ready yet. Um, I think this is definitely one where, like, compared to Frances McDormand, where I forget that she's acting, I can tell that Michelle's acting here because it's yeah. so hammy. Yeah, she's a little more She's acting. just crying the entire time, practically, or she's got, like, a pouty face. I don't think it's bad, but I don't, like, I, I think of other work by Michelle, and I think of, like, Catwoman, and I think of like White Oleander, or even I Am Sam, and I'm like, that's really strong work that should have been like Academy material. Yeah, this I think is I don't want to say it's a coattail nomination, but I think this is like, okay, we're gonna honor what you did here with a nomination, but we're not going further than that. Yeah, I I had that same thought watching this that I was very aware that she was acting. I was very aware that it's very stage acting. Sort of, but I was also very cognizant that I was that this was Michelle Pfeiffer on screen. Right. Like it, I never really forgot that it was Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay with the placement of her in supporting. I understand what you're saying that she might have more to do action wise, but I think Glenn Close being the orchestrator of everything, sort of the puppeteer of this entire movie, mm-hmm. it makes sense for me that she would be in lead. So I'm not gonna. I'm not questioning Michelle Pfeiffer's placement, but I definitely see where you're coming from with that. I mean, I agree where she's at, but it's really borderlining for me. Yeah, it's the lines are blurred. Like had I had I placed them, I would have put her in lead. But mm-hmm. I, I I agree with the Academy's placement here. Sure. So, 
Fred, what do you think? Um, this might uh, sound a little surprising since I tend to be a pretty big fan of it. Did we lose Craig? Did we lose you? No, I'm here. Oh, oh okay. Cut out for a second. Yeah, you cut. So the last thing, uh, the last thing we heard is we, we tend to be a pretty big fan of, and then you cut out. Oh, of of Miss Pfeiffer. Yeah. Um. So I, I just I don't really love this nomination. I, it's largely for all the reasons you know for the various reasons you guys just said. It um, it it tends to be. Uh, it hammy it tends to be borderline of a lead and it's and it's a lot of just you know yeah just be sad just just get kind of you know mopey and and i i don't know so, something about it I, i'm just not a huge fan of and i was actually i i tend to lose interest with that character when she's on screen agreed i mean the, yeah i mean the the, the best you know, I love I love the scenes with Malkovich and Close, and I got to say, I I was actually more into and more. I, I thought the stronger, if we're talking about the support as a supporting performance, Uma Thurman. I thought the, yeah, I thought yeah. the stronger one was actually yeah. Uma Thurman. Watching this the the last time, I think I've seen this maybe three times now, and this time going in focusing on Glenn and Michelle, I kept thinking, where was Uma's love? Because she's yeah. actually doing some really great work. Okay, can I just say, I love the dude. I've met the dude numerous times. I think he's a great person. But does anyone else feel like Keanu Reeves is really miscast here? Yes. Absolutely. I don't buy him. <laughs> I, don't I don't buy, buy him for all. a second in this movie. I don't. Like, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met, but, like... That's such a strange... Yeah, that was yeah. such a strange casting. Because he... Was this... I think this was post-Bill and Ted. I think it was. By literally, like, a year. Right around he the same known. time. Yeah. I think people knew who he was by I mean, this point. I mean, don't take this wrong, Craig. You are you are a solid decade older than both of us. You were around for this before we were. <laughs> so we may have to refer to you to be like, wasn't this that time? So <laughs> we say it with love. Oh, okay. Of, oh, okay. <laughs> so I haven't thought of an alternative because I'm just thinking of it now, but do you guys think Michelle Pfeiffer is miscast in this role? Do you think it's not necessarily that she's bad, but that this role just wasn't really right for her? I, I, would, well, ag I would agree. I haven't thought of like an alternative, like who I would put there. But... Barbara Hershey. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was obviously, this was the transitional year for Michelle Pfeiffer. I yeah. mean, you know, before this, she hadn't done anything. Grease 2! Oh, really? <laughs> Sorry, I love Grease too. I was like, I was like, Grease too. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. into it. Well, that, that oh, was she had done debut, um, Scarface by this point and too. Scarface. And Witches of Eastwick. Yeah, that's right. So she was around. Maybe they, she was cast. For no, Star, I, I Star see. Power. I see what he means by this was like his tran or her transitional year because she went from like these campy into movies Oscar yeah. into Oscar. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. You know, and then following it up with Fabulous Baker Boys the next year. That is right. Um, yes. So yeah, so, you know, so th this marked, you know, a major transitional point in Michelle Pfeiffer's career. I mean, if you've, you know, she's even said, you know, in interviews, she said, let's be honest, you know, very early in my career, I wasn't getting cast for my acting ability. So, so she started getting taken seriously yeah. after this, this role. This really kind of bridged that, yeah, for which, her. Which, shout and out. also married oh. to the mob. Yeah, oh, yes. Year as oh, Jonathan well. Demi. Jonathan Demi, yep. That's a yeah. fun movie. Um, so 80, 88 was a big year for Michelle Pfeiffer and where she really went to like starting to go to leading lady and to awards worthy role. Yeah, because this was also um, Michelle Pfeiffer got a Golden Globe nomination this year for co uh, comedy actress for Married to the Mob. Hmm. 
So I think that's, I always like, oh, the, side note, this is a year two, excuse me, um, this is a year two where the, where the Academy and the Globes were so different. I was going to bring that up when we get to Sigourney oh, Weaver. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. So when we, when we get to Sigourney Weaver for Working Girl, I was going to bring that up. Okay, sorry. Whew. Reverse. Go ahead. So do we have anything else for Michelle Pfeiffer or should we move no, on to Working say, Girl? I, I think it was, I think it was a bit of miscasting. Yeah. Her, yeah. her and uh, Keanu Reeves both. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anyone you could have seen in Pfeiffer's role? I said Barbara Hershey. That makes sense to me. I haven't thought of it yet. No. But yeah, Barbara Hershey is a solid choice. That that's a yeah, that's a good one. Okay. I can definitely see so that. So until we think of another one. <laughs> um, we're moving, moving yeah. on. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. So do you want to do? Do you want me to introduce Joan and Sigourney together since it's the same movie, or should we do them <laughs> separate? Uh, do them separate because this isn't like how. You know, Thalma and Louise's when we need... And Turning Point. Yeah, and Turning okay. Point. These are definitely two Because they're two different... Are... Yeah, they don't really interact with each other. That's true. Okay. So let's do uh, Joan Cusack first for uh, Working Girl. This is her first of two nominations. Her only precursor is she won the Boston Film Critics, and that's really it. She went from the Boston Film Critics to the Oscars. And in Working Girl, she plays Cynthia, the best friend of Tess, played by Melanie Griffith. And she's basically the best part of the movie. I'm just going to throw that out. So, um... Thoughts on Joan Cusack? You know what my thoughts are? What? That it's not even leather. <laughs> um, I... That $6,000? $6,000 is not even leather. Do you need anything, Mr. Trainer? Coffee, tea, me? I <laughs> love Joan Cusack, and I love Joan Cusack in this role. Um, I love Joan Cusack's hair. I love Joan Cusack's eyeshadow in this movie. I love Joan Cusack in general. So this is really exciting, because I've been dying to talk about Working Girl. Um... She is the best thing about this movie. Yeah. There, I mean, Joan Cusack here is, and I, and I brought this up in 78, is the Penelope Milford effect. She oh, yeah. is the epitome of what a supporting actress needs to do in a film while doing it right and not taking away from the lead and moving the story in the slow motion that needs to be moved to continue the plot points. Yeah, she, she's pivotal to this she movie. She is pivotal But to she's this movie. not the, the focal point. Right. Like and ever. when she's on screen, she's your favorite. And when she's gone, you miss her. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the most brilliantly cast roles of the 80s because it's so perfectly done um i like her a lot i think that this was a great turning point for joan's career i wish she would get more work um her work on shameless is great adam's family uh value should have been a nomination for her like she's so good um yeah i like her i like her in school of rock school of rock throw that out there the 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 edge of 17 dance is always fun to watch it's the best scene in that movie (laughs) what do we have um, yeah, I love her in this movie. I think she's hilarious. Uh, her lines are the best lines in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think she, she took a role that easily could have been a throwaway best friend in a romantic comedy role, and she made it gold. Yeah. So, uh, Craig, what are your thoughts? Yeah, she's, she's absolutely fantastic in this. And she, yeah, she, she kind of dominates the scenes that she's in. But, but like you said, she doesn't, because she's not... She's not interacting with, with everybody all the time. It's a true. It's a true supporting. There's there's no fraud here. Um, no, no and fraud. It's, she's she's just such. She's delightful. She's so enjoyable uh, to watch. It's it's great casting. Great great timing. Um, you know how we we say all the time too. You know that comedy is more difficult than drama. And I think you know this is a perfect case in a very popular film. Now, I know that does tend to help in in securing nominations and wins, as we've seen, is, you know, this was 
a big major studio film that was you know hyped a lot it came out uh, end of the year at christmas right around christmas time around the same time as beaches actually i think they came out the same weekend oh. if i'm not mistaken nice yeah and um <laughs> <laughs> you know and mike nichols it's it, it was a perfect it was a perfect little comedic storm and if I'm not mistaken, Carly Simon, who won the best original song that year for Let the River Run, that was kind of the shallow of that time, too, mm-hmm. right? Because that song I heard was everywhere. That song yes. gets in my head. Well, I don't know why. Let the River Run or like, Shallow? No, no, Let the River Run. Like, a whole day <laughs> after I watched Working Girl, it was, like, playing through my head. Yeah. And and Melanie and Joan are actually in the music video of it, too, with Carly sitting on the ferry. Oh, I've like, actually why never have watched the music that? video. <laughs> Like, they actually went back, you know, and shot scenes for the music video. <laughs> and they looked different from what they did in the movie, too, because it was probably, like, you know, several months after shooting and wrapped. Sure. Right. Little, little fun fact, too, about Joan Cusack was that she was the first cast member of Saturday Night Live to get an acting nomination because she was only on it for, like, a season. Yeah, it was a season with Robert Downey wow. Jr. Yeah. Interesting. So she was the first. Dan Aykroyd was the second the following year for Driving Miss Daisy and then Robert Downey Jr. for mm. Chaplin in the wow. 90s. Hmm. So you go, John. You, Jen. You go, Joan. <laughs> All right. Anybody else want to add? I just love her in this. It's, she's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll probably circle back to her. Oh yeah. In rankings and maybe even when we talk to Sigourney, I don't know. Yeah. Um. So our fifth nominee is Sigourney Weaver for Working Girl. This is her s- second slash third. Because <laughs> nomi- <I'm> waiting. <laughs> second slash third nomination of her three because she was nominated twice this year. Um, so her precursors, she won the Golden Globe for supporting, and she was nominated for the BAFTA and the Chicago Film Critics, and she is the only supporting actress at the Oscars this year who is in the supporting actress pool at the Golden Globes, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. So I think the other nominees were like Lena Olin and the Unbearable Lightness of Being, and uh, a couple others, I, I'm blanking on them. But yeah, yeah, it was, she was the only one that continued on to the Oscars from the Golden Globes. I love when awards do that. When yeah. they're like, fuck you, we're going to do something else. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. So in Working Girl, Sigourney Weaver plays Catherine Parker, uh, Tess's boss, who kind of steals Tess's idea and passes it off as her own. And when she breaks her leg in a ski trip, Tess kind of steps into her role and starts making her way through the business world, basically. So uh, thoughts on Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl? Um, I love Sigourney Weaver. I don't love her in this. I, when I mentioned, like, I feel, and I don't think she's hammy, but when I mentioned that Michelle Pfeiffer feels like stage acting, I feel like Sigourney's stage acting in Working Girl. Mm -hmm. She's very much acting for the camera, which I love her, but I've seen her do so much better. Um, I don't hate it by any means. I just think this is unfortunately a role, and I can't believe I'm saying this, where Sigourney Weaver is miscast. Oh, really? Yeah. I I don't buy her as this ruthless boss. I don't even look at her like a ruthless boss. I almost I kind of like look at her like I look at Nurse Ratchet in Cuckoo's Nest. I'm like, well, you're not really a villain. Like I'm not intimidated by you. Um, I I get the nomination, but I I don't think I get the Golden Globe win if I'm putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know going into this night, she was kind of the favorite. This was the category where she was going to take just because she did win the Golden Globe. She was the only one to transfer over. Right. Um, I don't love it. I don't love it either, but I do like it. I like her in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I buy it. Um, I kind of know people like her. I've never been in the business world, but working in the entertainment industry, I was like seeing people that I've worked with or worked for mm-hmm. in this character. Um, I do kind of like early on that, 
you don't really know how sort of vindictive she is right away. I, get, I think early on, if you don't know where the story's going, you think she might be on Melanie Griffith's side. Mm-hmm. And it's not until later when you realize she kind of backstabs her that you're like, oh, you're kind of a bitch. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I dig her. I like her in this. Uh, I don't think she's miscast per se, um, but I don't love it either. What about you, Craig? All right. So <laughs> obviously, you know, you tempered earlier with the fact that Sigourney Weaver is my favorite actress, Mm -hmm. but that I am fair (laughs) when talking about uh, things like this, about roles. And I'm going to say, too, uh, I don't love her in this one, as crazy as that may sound. Um, I just clutched my pearls, to be honest with you. (laughs) I literally literally clutched my pearls. I I like it, but, you know, again, I'm going to piggyback on some of the things, you know, you said, but... Um, I hate the, you know I hate the word miscast most of the time so I'm not even necessarily saying she's miscast but because there was a lot of funky casting at this time and if someone was a name you know but but you know when you said that one of the first things I did think of is that she and Melanie Griffith are supposed to be the same age in this movie I noticed that too yeah. I, I immediately looked it up because I was like I don't know about that so yeah, she is she is about ten years older than her character says she is, but I don't I don't also don't know if her character's lying. That, that well, you know, that's a good that's a good point. But you know, in that part where she's on the phone, she's like, Oh, my dear sister's a Vassar and the, you know Yeah, it, it's a bit of that <laughs> it, it is a bit of it is a bit of overacting at uh, at, at times, like like Joe like Joey said, you know, it's it is it does feel a little stage acting. Again, I don't know if she was the wrong choice, but Definitely some adjustments should have been made because, yeah, in fact, I think the joke is even that uh, it Tess is, like, supposed to be a week older than her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's slightly it, older. It, right, when she first starts, and that they're both supposed to be 30 years old. And I don't know. That, that's a bit of a stretch because I know a lot about Sigourney. You know, I've you know read up on her. I know a lot about growing up and all that. And she's a highly intelligent person. She's... You know, very, very eloquent, very, you know, like New York society type. So that's why I don't think it's it's like I don't think it's crazy that she'd be cast as this bitchy um, business exec type. But I don't know. There's just there's some there's some aspects that just that that are difficult to gel for me. And it's it's definitely a fun role and it's it's almost like the precursor to Miranda Priestly, you know, many oh, years later. That is a great way to look at that. So, yeah, you know, and, and and I'm almost surprised in some ways that it's that her lines aren't I mean, she doesn't have as many, of course, you know, she doesn't have as many zingers obviously as as Meryl does in, in Devil Wears Prada, but She's got a few, and I'm always surprised that it's not quoted more when she says, you know, like, I've cleared the month of June, and I am, after all, me. And, you know, I mean, she's got some, you know, irresistible moments as a bitchy boss that, that audiences tend to kind of like in a strange way. She has that but, line that I hear a lot in real life when, uh, I think it's when Melanie Griffith try, says that she can't get her in at that ski lodge. And, and she's like, well, did you tell them that it's me? Oh yeah. Do, do they know who I am? And yeah, I was, yeah. Oh, I've heard she, like, that line before. In, in like in German or something, right? In yeah. perfect German. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think Sigourney's pedigree 
even though I'm not, I'm not saying she's playing herself by any stretch because, you know, she's not, she's not this person in real life, but you know, her pedigree and everything definitely, I think, you know, helped her for this role as this New York city, you know, woman trying to make it in the man's world. And the, the character has, ha, does have, you know, you do have almost some sympathy towards her, but then, like you said, though, you know, then she winds up, she really, she winds up becoming the villain when, when all is revealed. I think but even have... like you, but even like you said, Joe, like, yeah, she's not, <laughs> she's, she's not a, a villain that I don't think would scare anybody unless you were her assistant, but like anybody else, you know, she, so she's not she, she's she's you know it's it's a weirdly it's that charming bitchy role yeah i want to i want to recast this here with two actresses and i want because i it just came to put? me talking yeah. to this and they're, they're both the same age as Melly griffith so it works a little bit better number one jennifer tilly oh, okay but this one i think would secure the deal for me think of her at that time madonna hmm Oh. Madonna would have been be really good as Catherine in Working Girl. I, I'd watch that movie. Yeah, I think that could have yeah. been that would have been a great role for Madonna. Hmm. And fun fact about this role: there's a scene where I wonder was, if she was considered for it. Oh, I think she was, but at that time, I mean, really, she's only ever really had one big hit film. She was considered box office poison. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. occurred to me too. She was kind of on the Flops. on the way up, but Sharon Stone. Would have been an interesting. She's about the same age yeah. as Melanie Griffith. She had, hadn't quite yeah. made it yet, but she was on her way up. Yeah, Sharon Stone would have been a good choice. I can see her in that sort of corporate boss kind of role. Yeah, especially yeah. since her character's supposed to have some kind of sex appeal. Did you see Sharon Stone at the Independent Spirit Awards in the no. opening for Audrey, Aubrey Plaza? Oh, it was amazing. I only saw clips. So I didn't watch the entire. You need thing. To, you need to see the opening with Aubrey Plaza. She, she does a <laughs> skit with Sharon Stone, Christina Ricci. Um, the kid from Stranger Things, uh, Marissa Tomei, and Rosanna Arquette, and it is, uh, it's fantastic. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Sharon Stone's just chain-smoking cigarettes throughout the entire thing. I but, love Sharon Stone. Um, little fun fact about this role with uh, Sigourney, too, is that right after doing uh, Grows in the Mist, she did Working Girl, and there's that scene where Sigourney comes out of the helicopter with a big gorilla, and Mike Nichols put <laughs> that in there. Oh. He put that in there as an ode to Diane Fossey, so okay. he was really paying tribute to her as well. Nice. So. Yeah. Does anyone else want to add anything? Um, and and Joan has a line about Madonna. You just mentioned Madonna. Right, she does. The, the underwear. That's, right. think of that. that's one of the they most quoted that, lines. They have to take that line out, but yeah. Right. Uh, I think that's one of the yeah, most good. quoted lines in the movie. Yeah. Just because I sing and dance around in the around my house in my underwear doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, yeah, good good ideas, guys. Yeah, you know. So <laughs> we as, have as fun. A, as a stand for Sigourney, though, you know, I got to I got to be honest and, you know, and say that definitely, definitely not her best yet. It was, I believe, you know, at the time it was definitely expected to be her win. And if you look back on YouTube now, too, you know, there's constant jokes about saying how pissed she looked during the Oscars ceremony. Yeah. In the audience. Yeah. yeah. All righty. Well, moving on to lead actress. Um, our nominees for 1988 were Dangerous Liaisons, Glenn Close. From the accused, Jodie Foster. From Working Girl, Melanie Griffith. From A Cry in the Dark, Meryl Streep. And from Gorillas in the Mist, Sigourney Weaver. 
All right. So starting off, we had Melanie Griffith as Tess McGill in Working Girl. This is uh, her sole nomination. She's actually the only nominee here in this lineup to only have one nomination. Going into Oscar night, she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical. She had a BAFTA nomination in 1990 for Actress. She was nominated for the National Society of Film Critics and the New York Film Critics Association for Best Actress. Um, In Working Girl, Melanie Griffith plays Tess, who has a bod for sin, but a brain for business. I totally just fucked up that line. (laughs) Um, And pretty much she is a woman who is trying to prove to herself that she can be an independent woman who don't need no man. And uh, what do you think about it? I really like this role. I just like this movie. And I'm kind of glad that a role like this got nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Because you don't often see... Lead, leading actresses in comedies and like romantic comedies, if you can consider this one, getting nominated. And I kind of dig it. I also just really like Melanie Griffith in this. I really feel for her character. Um, she's a character that you kind of root for the entire time, and you just want her to succeed and really put Sigourney Weaver in her place in the end. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really triumphant role, and I, I dig it. Craig? Yeah, very, very satisfying, you know, huge crowd pleaser type. Not, not that you, yeah, not the type of role that you do see up on the Oscar stage. Um, out of the five, of course, definitely not my favorite. But um, save that, save that, <laughs> save that part. Right, right. But uh, you know, she definitely, you know, again, of course, I'm, I'm a little biased, knowing knowing some stories that I know now about the production of this movie. And when I look at it now, you know, I see, I see certain things and some things. Yes, correct. Uh, I I don't know. Sometimes some things about Melanie seem a little off to me and, but, but, you know, but then I remember that was, you know, and this was such an achievement for her and she had always been up until this point, you know, she'd always been given such a hard time. She said that, everybody always gave her a hard time about the way she talked and she tried to change her voice and everything and just, you know, it just wasn't happening. And it was great that she found something like this to inhabit and to really have the audience root for. And it's, you know, yeah, like you said, it's, it's good. I, I don't, I don't think of it as, you know, one of the greatest performances in history, but it's, it's very good. And you really root for her and the movie itself is, is, terrific and enjoyable i find the ending really satisfying and i think that's in large part due to melanie griffith's performance like i love that part at the end when she comes in and she sits in the secretary's desk and the her assistant is the title that she prefers as she says yeah but the the assistant's like what are you doing that's my desk you work in there (laughs) and then melanie's like what i have an (laughs) office and then she goes into the office and calls joan cusack and And calls it's such a yeah it's such a that ending puts a smile on your face every time you yeah. watch it. I like her impression of yeah. Melanie Griffith. Very, yeah. very sympathetic. Very sympathetic character that you're, like, rooting for the whole time, especially when you see, you know, her kind of get screwed over unfairly for, and, you know. Then you see Catherine get put in her place, and she gets canned, and you're happy about that. And then Melanie gets her own office, and there's that shot at, outside the building, and you see her in her high-up-in-the-air office being, yeah. a bo- being a literal boss. Yeah, I mean, I, um, Craig, you put it best. I mean, for this, for me, I think I, you, th- this is a character and performance where you root for because the, perf- the way Melanie 
portrays Tess, it could have easily been a victim. Mm-hmm. And you, you you cheer around from the sidelines the entire time. I really like this. Um, I'm going to be honest, though. This is the best that Melanie Griffith is ever going to get <laughs> as an actress. Um, she's infamous yeah. at the Sinker Awards, and she's infamous at the Razzies because she does these really interesting roles. Let's just put it nicely. Um, but I think I think this is a really good nomination for being the, your only nomination. I mean, there are actresses or actors who we think of with sole nominations where you're like, well, okay. And this is one where we could be like, oh, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I see it. Um, yeah, I think this is really good. Um, Pretty I, I, smart casting. Yes, yeah, you know, smart casting for sure. She was able to bring the blend of the kind of ditziness that I was saying, you know, that kind of plagued her yeah. in the, in the 80s that, you know, she, she wasn't taken, taken seriously for, for a lead type of role, yeah. you know, and able, but able to, um, you know, expand that too and showing, showing multiple layers of the character. I would like to say too, I think as a character, I like her hair longer than that horrible bob that she gets. It does not look good. Her boss bob. Agreed. It does not look good on her. Anyone else want to add to Melanie Griffith before we move on? Um, no, I think we'll say more rankings. Uh, yeah. So coming up next, we had the winner of that year, Jodie Foster, who played Sarah Tobias in The Accused. This is her second of four nominations, her first one being in 1976 for Taxi Driver. She would follow The Accused with uh, a win in Silence of the Lambs, and then uh, two years later for Nell, all in lead actress except for Taxi Driver. Um, going into uh, awards night, she had a kind of interesting uh, precursor because she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama, and she tied with not one but two actresses, one being Sigourney Weaver for Gorillas in the Mist, the other one being Shirley MacLaine for Madame Suzatska. Um, she was nominated for the BAFTA in 1990 for Best Actress, and then she won the uh, National Board of Review for Best Actress and was nominated for New York Films Critics Association in the Actress category. In the accused, Sarah, uh, Jodie Foster again plays Sarah Tobias, who is a woman who goes to a bar one night to meet a friend after work and becomes the victim of a horrible rape case. Um, the whole time throughout the movie, her character has to prove why she herself as a woman didn't ask for the rape and she wants to see justice to those who are around uh, watching and the rapists themselves. So start us off on that one. Actually, Craig, start us off on that one. Okay, so... I kind of threw you for a loop there because we haven't been putting you first. This is such... This is another interesting one. You know, The Accused, I believe this was movie's sole nomination, right? Yes. Movie was not well reviewed at the time. I don't know if it's just again the subject matter. It's there's parts that are real hard to watch. There's there's a dark, it kind of you know there's kind of a sinister tone to it. Um, and this this movie was supposed to be a vehicle for Kelly McGillis, who had just come off Top Gun and had come off Witness, Witness the year yep. before that, right? And so she gets top billing here. Exactly, and and she's in more of the movie than Jody is, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. I, th- I think you're right. I think she has slightly more screen time than Jody. She is the yeah. Rudy Mara to her Kate Blanchett yeah. and Carol. And, and, and Kelly does get first billing in the opening credits. Correct. And I think in the closing yeah. credits too. Yes. So this was one of these things that kind of, it kind of, I think, took people by surprise a bit because, like I said, the the movie came out and it's. It wasn't a movie that people were like, it wasn't like a fatal attraction and it wasn't like, 
a working girl. You know, it, it wasn't a movie that people were talking about much. And I don't, you know, I don't know what's box office or receipts. I don't have that in front of me, but, um, but yeah, again, you know, this was, a, this was supposed to be a vehicle for Kelly McGillis to really finally be the lead. And, you know, the, the only thing that got talked about for this movie was Jodie Foster. And it, I do think this borderlines on a supporting, uh, a supporting performance. I do want to chime in really quick to answer your question because I have it in front of me. The movie grossed 32 mil on a 6 mil budget. Oh. Pretty decent. And that was just the States. Right. Okay. So that's a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I didn't, re- I didn't realize it actually... I didn't realize that it was actually uh, that profitable. Yeah, um, it opened in October of 88. October of 88, yep. And so it, she's very effective. Um... Her character, of course, is not meant to be particularly likable. And again, you know, this is kind of a, di- a different era. This is 30 something years ago. But um, yeah, she's, she's very compelling in the scenes that she's in. And you, know, you really see through her, her, you know, rage and this injustice because she's been, you know, she she feels that she's been raped multiple times because of the nature of what actually happened, and then the plea deal that the guys cut, and she still has to see them, and you know, so she, it, it's it's definitely one of those uh, movies about the system, and I I, I don't hate it. I mean, it, it's something I I can definitely. It's not something that I can only, you know, say watch one time and be like, oh, that was so disturbing or that was so tedious. Um, but again, you know, I, I just, it, it, it borderlines on a supporting performance for me, you know, and she has like two, two and a half really big effective scenes that, you know, definitely locked in that, that nomination and that win. Do you want to go off of that or do you want sure. me to? Um, I th- I understand where you're coming from, where she is kind of on the line between lead and supporting. I'm okay with her being in lead because she does have such... She does have quite a bit of screen time, although I think Kelly has more. And Jodie Foster has perhaps the... I don't... This is probably not the best word, but she has, like, the juicier role. Like, it's the showier role. It's the role you feel for. And at times, this movie kind of plays like a TV movie. If that makes sense. I mean, it feels like a movie that you would see as, like, a... After school special, sort of like a prime time Emmys darling type movie. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Jody's really good in it. I really, you really feel for a character like right away in the beginning of the movie. You know exactly what happened. I love what she kind of, she does with her voice in the beginning because she was being choked during the event, which we don't see until later. But you get she tells a story with her body and her voice before we even really know what happened, and I think that's really cool. But, yeah, this is definitely... I can see how it was not supposed to be her vehicle, yeah. but she definitely steals the spotlight in every scene that she's in. And I think it's kind of easy to do when you're Jodie Foster, because I don't... Maybe this is shade, but I think she's a better actress than Kelly McGillis. I will not Jodie Foster this behavior. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I... It's a, it's, a, it's a good nomination, I think. I think, uh, I think she's right to be in lead, but I can definitely see the argument where if... Either of them is going to be, le- if one has to be lead and one has to be supporting, Kelly is definitely the one driving the story 
even though the incident revolves around Jodie Foster's character. It's an interesting dynamic. I have a couple things in this one. Number one, I do believe she's so borderline here, and I think mm -hmm. the only thing pushing her into lead is that the rape sequence, instead of... They could have filmed it as such, but they could have edited it to where it was just cuts, and you mm -hmm. saw bits and pieces during the court scene, like sure. that, whatnot. But I think adding that... it's I, I timed it. It's a solid 15-minute chunk of just her during yeah. the rape scene. That's what pushed her it's into long. lead. It's really long. Like, it's almost, like, too long. It's almost uncomfortably long. And I'm sure that was the point. But yeah. But I, I was, at some point, I was still like, you did not need this. Yeah. And um, if you remember back to when we did 1976, and we talked about Taxi Driver, I said I wanted to bring up something in 88 yeah. regarding Jodie Foster with this. So Jodie Foster was the first of only two actresses to take a nomination as a child and show that it wasn't just a fluke and give a nomination as an adult okay. or get a nomination as an adult. The only one only being Saoirse Ronan. Oh, right, yeah. Right. So um, Jodie Foster was, while I, 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 I clap for her and I say, good for you, Jodie, you were able to show that you can truly act. You know what I mean? Um, this is a silly nomination to me. I don't, I, I think, and I've said this to Craig before, and I, I've been like, okay, like I'm, I'm, I watched Accused a while back on Hulu and I was like, this is just way miscast. This is not, this is not a good performance by any means in my eyes. Um, if anything, I found myself rolling my eyes more and I don't know, I gotta, I gotta also look at it this way. I kind of also, not to get dark here, but just bring it in as an example. I kind of also looked at it as a rape victim mm -hmm. to where I'm like, I'm putting myself in that position. I'm like... I would not be acting that crazy for me. Um, I would want justice, but I think I would go in my justice a different way. So I kind of viewed it, the film, as a victim. You mean like the, the truck scene? Yeah. Where she crashes into yeah, the truck? Yeah, like, I don't know. That scene is a little bit too much for me. I think I did question the believability of that. Yeah. Like at some point I was like, I can see how someone would react that way, but at the same time it took me out of it and I was like, Really? Yeah, I mean, Jodie Foster, for what it's worth, is good in this, but I think it's a silly, it's a silly win, it's a silly nomination. Um, she's done better. We've seen better from Jodie, so it's it's an it's a bit of an over to the top performance. Yeah, I would say. And she and she like upstages Kelly McGillis at, at every opportunity. I will say this entire lineup is a very strong lineup, but I don't know if Jodie, I don't see how she won over everybody here. Right. So, anybody else want to add? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm in agreement. And I think, you know, if the Academy members, you know, had had a, a crystal ball and knew what was, you know, what was, what was in store less than three years later, I can't help but think they might have voted differently. Yeah. Well, okay, so wrapping up Jodie Foster then, we have our third nominee of that year, who was Sigourney Weaver as Diane Fossey uh, in Gorillas in the Mist, The Adventures of Diane Fossey. Um, this is her third of three nominations, uh, first being two years before in Aliens in the lead role or in the lead category, and then obviously the same year we just talked about her in Working Girl. Going into, which actually, this shocked me. I had no fucking clue about this until I did homework for this. The only precursor she had was the Golden Globe win. Where she tied. Where she tied for with Shirley MacLaine and Jodie Foster in the drama mm. category. She had nothing else. Mm. Very odd to me. Um, I'm going to have uh, Brandon start on this one, and then I'm going to go last. Okay. Okay. So I might shock you guys with this one, but I actually don't love this performance. Mm -hmm. um, some of Sigourney's line deliveries in this literally made me roll my eyes. like The summer camp? 
Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's always everyone's example. Yeah, I don't remember, uh, I can't think of what exactly is happening in the moment, but she and a guy who she's with in the jungle, they see something far in the distance and it's bad. And she's like, oh no. And I was like, oh my God. But um, yeah, that's like literally how she delivered the line and then ran off and to, to rescue the gorillas or whatever is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that scene where she puts on the mask and like scares the boy into giving them the information. I thought that was really funny, but also kind of traumatizing in a way, probably for the boy. Oh, very much so. But, but that scene probably gave me like the most joy from like a sadistic standpoint, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I. This is another movie to me that kind of plays out kind of like a TV movie. Like it feels like it has that sort of. Um, I don't want to say production value, but it seems like a movie that would have been like a TV vehicle for Sigourney Weaver. Um, so yeah, so I don't, I don't love it, but uh, I also don't hate it at all. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll pass the mic to Craig, because I know he's the Sigourney Weaver stan of the week. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I love this. I love this performance. And, um, you know, again, it's, I think it's important to keep in mind, you know, this was, this was a real-life person, right. Diane Voss, you know, who, who was uh, murdered in 1985. And um, she was a very complicated person. Um, you know, and if, even if you read the, the, the autobiography Gorillas in the Mist that this was uh, based on, that she you know was writing up and had been writing, I think it was published before she died, and then you know she kept many journals and, um, you know she she had a lot of uh, of contradictions and issues. Uh, people have even you know said she was racist uh, with the with the villagers and the, the anti-poachers even that she, that, she, you know, you see, you see that a little bit, um, when she berates them, uh, after what happens to digit her favorite gorilla. Um, oh, hands. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, she, I, I saw this movie. I, I was, I was really pretty young, maybe, maybe too young, but I mean, I was just so drawn in. I had never really given much of a thought about gorillas <laughs> before this film. And now I'm like, yes, save gorillas, yeah. Uh, you know, I I I've followed the, the Diane Fossey, the Digit Fund ever since. Um, again, you know, it's this is. I I don't think you know as many biopics do or did at the time. I certainly don't think it tries to portray her as a saint. Um, she, you know, she has a lot of. Uh, just, you know, issues going on with relating to people and, you know, she has, she has a fiance and then she starts a relationship with another guy, which probably wasn't completely necessary to put in the film to have a romance, but with, with, uh, Bob Campbell played by Brian Brown. Um, but I, I, I'm just completely drawn in and, and even though she doesn't sound and look you know, that that much like the real Fosse, I think she really did her homework for this and was really honest and really rose to the occasion. And, you know, I mean, it's still, there's still certain scenes that I'm just like, wow, every time. Um, it's, again, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a female, it's a female lead that's not going to please everybody. She's she's complicated she's erratic and you know it it's almost it's almost a little abrupt in how quickly she goes from from 
this, you know, research, this, you know, like bright eyed kind of student researcher type to this kind of mad woman that just starts kind of alienating everyone on, you know, on this quest to, to, to save the species. But, you know, given some of those limitations and trying to stay true to the real life person, you know, but and still make it work as a dramatic film, I, I thought she did an incredible job. Yeah, I was more interested in the character after she went dark. Like, I think the, the early half of the movie where she's a, the bright-eyed humanitarian, like you were saying, is when I was kind of, like, questionable. But when she kind of, she went to that place and she was being really cruel to the people who worked for her and she wasn't taking any shit from anybody and she like almost she like staged a fake execution for that one dude I was oh, like, oh yeah oh, this is interesting mm-hmm. i wish yeah, the whole movie the had one. done that yeah no that's the scene where everybody i mean to this day yeah people's jaw drops they're like whoa what is she doing right so i was definitely more in tune with the character and the performance in that section of the movie it was the early parts where i was kind of like eh, i'm not fully committing to this so i gotta i gotta got kind of ping back off of craig here um you had mentioned that you know she doesn't look she doesn't sound like diane fossey but she makes it her own and it kind of takes me back to 2009. She did this amazing TV film called Paris for Bobby. And as a, as, as a, yes. I was a junior in high school when that came out. So as a, as a young gay kid, really figuring out who I was, I was like, I really like grasped onto that movie. Have you seen it? I don't think so. Okay, so you need to see it because okay. it is about, she plays a character by the name of Mary Griffith or Mary Griffiths. And, um, it's, it's a true story about her. She, it was the mid eighties and her son had come out as gay. And this isn't giving anything away. Cause if you even read what it's about, it tells you in the, in the plot line, um, her, her whole family, she was very religious. Her whole family was very, very religious and kind of like shunned him. So he commits mm-hmm. suicide by jumping off a bridge into traffic on a highway. Oh. And so the film is about her kind of reclaiming her love for her son. And it's, it's horribly sad. And had it been released in theaters, I think it would have brought back her to the Oscar stage. But I bring that up because, again, she looked nothing or sounded like Mary, but made it her own. Mm-hmm. So going back to Gorillas in the Mist, I really like her in this. Um, uh, I have no big, no big complaints about this other than I kind of wish in a way they were able to do a sequel to this with Diane Fossey because I would love to see what she could do with it as an older Diane Fossey. Obviously, that's not a thing. Um, but even like a year ago, um, Ellen DeGeneres got, uh, had her on the show because she was opening up the Ellen DeGeneres Diane Fossey wildlife fund. Oh, and right. still to this day, 30 years after the fact, Sigourney is so passionate about the gorillas. Um, I think Sigourney, this is probably, I would argue his, her best work that she's ever done. Um, yeah. I would honest, I would really argue that I, 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 I see where you, for you, like, um, Brandon, where you're like, Oh, there's where, you know, oh, no, I think that's just Sigourney. Yeah, I, I think that's I mean, even, even, even if you look back to, like, Aliens and the get away from her, you bitch. Like, yeah. she really just, sorry, I didn't mean if that hurt your ear at all, Craig. Um, the, the, yeah, she says, here, here, Hicks, <laughs> you know, and she's right. yelling. Right, that's yeah. just Sigourney. I, I'm get, yeah. As we were talking about Working Girl and now Gorillas, I'm kind of gathering that that she has a very specific tone tone delivery even yeah there's there's a specificity to her as a person that comes through in her performances that i never really put together until Mm -hmm. we had this conversation they picked her for planet earth you know oh (laughs) good point right that's true so yeah that that does seem to just be a thing with her yeah so i mean i don't think i don't think she's bad i think she's great um 
I I really like her in this lineup, but I think this is definitely Sigourney Weaver's best work is Gorillas in the Mist. Does anyone else want to add? Yeah, I agree. Okay, so moving on, we have the queen of the Academy herself, Meryl Streep, um, in A Cry in the Dark. She played Lindy Chamberlain. Um, this is her eighth of 21 nominations. Should I do it? Oh, boy. Okay, I always seem, well, I, so far I've always gotten the Meryl Streep roles. So, this is her eighth of 21 nominations. I'm about to give you her nominations in order. Up to Cry in the Dark? Uh, or are you going all Oh, I do the whole thing. Oh, boy. I, I'm a, I don't do anything small. Come on. All right, so she started off in 78 and 79 supporting roles in Deer Hunter and Kramer vs. Kramer. Um, after that, she was all lead up until adaptation. So then we we saw her in The French Lieutenant's Woman, Sophie's Choice, which she won for, Silkwood, Out of Africa, Iron Weed, and then here we have her in A Cry in the Dark. She would follow this with uh, Postcards from the Edge, Bridges of Madison County, One True Thing, and then Music of the Heart going into the 2000s. We saw her in Adaptation. That was her supporting. Then she went into Devil Wears Prada, Doubt, Julie, and Julia. She then followed that up with... Um, into the, I'm sorry, August Osage County with her supporting role in Into the Woods. Then we saw her again in Florence Foster Jenkins and The Post. Whew. Oh boy. Did that by me. You memory. left one out. Oh, what did I miss? Iron Lady, which she won for. Oh my God, the Iron Lady. Oh, Craig got me there. All right, fuck it. I'm going to be honest, I, I, I zoned out. So I was really <laughs> everybody really zones out because I always get the Meryl Street ones and I do it. I do it every time. All right, so um, going into this, she didn't. Ha- uh, she had three precursors, the Golden Globe nomination for drama, but then she actually won the Cannes Film Festival Award here for Best Actress, which we haven't seen, um, I think, since Norma Ray, mm-hmm. right? I could be wrong wow. on that. And then uh, the New York Film's Critic win for Best Actress. So in A Cry in the Dark, uh, Meryl Streep plays the real-life person, Lady Chamberlain, who on holiday in Australia, her daughter gets eaten by a dingo. And then is, or does she? Or does she? And then is blamed uh, for the murder, is wrongfully, or is tried and wrongfully put away, but according to the government of Australia, is then acquitted, and this is their story. So, Brandon, start us off. So the thing about the Cannes Film Festival, I was looking this up the other day, I'm pretty sure she won the Cannes Award after she already lost the Oscar. Because the Cannes were, the Cannes Award that she won was in like May of 89, if I'm not mistaken. You can, I, I think I'm going to look can, it up right Yeah, now. check it really quick. But I was looking this up the other day, um, and I'm pretty sure it was that order, which is strange. But yeah, I like Meryl in this role. I really like the character. Um, there's a, You're right. Yeah, so this, this, this played at Cannes after the Oscars. So she only went into this award with a win from the New York uh, Film Critics Association. Yeah, so that's neat. You don't really see that, like, ever. Because I think now you have to premiere at Cannes in yeah. order to be a contender. No. But um, Cry in the Dark is really interesting because you see this uh, reversal of roles between her and her husband, played by Sam Neill. Because this, this is a true story, of course. And um, this became, like, a media sensation in Australia. This was, like the biggest deal for like two years and Lindy Chamberlain did not behave the way that people thought she should. No. She was kind of stoic and distant and that read to people as evil. They were like, Oh, she did it because she would never cry and she wouldn't play into the frenzy. Whereas her husband did, he was a little more emotional. He was more sensitive and he would like openly cry in court and that read to people as weak. Mm-hmm. And so the way it played out in the media, due to this heteronormative standard that exists, she was kind of seen as the mastermind of it all, and he was seen as like the accomplice, and they were both convicted. Which isn't really a spoiler, because if you look up the movie, 
that's what the movie's about. Um, I think Meryl's really good in this. Um, she has like a distance to her that I really dig. She, you, there's at times when you don't really know what's going through her head and you even start to question, did she actually kill her daughter? You don't really know. And it, I think it's really cool. I think I read that Meryl herself had never really said publicly whether she thought Lindy was guilty or innocent. I don't know if that's changed since that was- She won't public. comment on it. Yeah, yeah, so she won't say what her opinion on this case is, which I just think is fascinating. But yeah, I, I really dig Meryl in this. I think it's a really cool role. Um, not crazy about the movie itself. I think, I keep saying this, but it, it plays out like a TV movie. Oh, but yeah, Meryl- That's your theme of this year. Yeah, it seems to be my thing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Cry in the Dark, specifically Meryl's performance. Heard. Craig? Yeah, um, I, I like I like Meryl a lot, a lot in this role. Um, this, you know, obviously a very challenging part. Again, another real life person. Um, a very, uh, an, an on the surface, not so likable person. And, you know, I think you nailed it there, Brandon, too, is that, like, it, she has some, she has a lot of powerful moments, but there's also, you know, that just, that that look in her eye when, when scenes when she's, like, on the stand and you, you start to question it. Yeah, you know, you're like, what is, she, what is going through her head now? I, I, it had been a while, um, you know, since I've seen this. Um, I know that their the family was, I think they were Seventh-day Adventists. Yes, that's true. A type, a type of Christian. Really, but somehow that got spun in the Australian media. There, were, there was something about, like, witchcraft or something, right? That right, they, people thought that they had sacrificed their daughter because yes, people didn't really right. know what the religion was about. So, And then there was this uh, theory that Azaria, which is the name of the daughter, meant, like, devil Horrible or something i don't remember the yeah, name yeah yeah but people so thought it translated were some, to devil worship. yeah they were satanic cult members or something. yes and yeah her her reserved her her you know that vulnerability but that that, that stoicism in, in meryl's performance uh for me definitely very captivating and uh something that is particularly difficult for most American actors to do is I really think she nails the Australian accent. I was going to say that you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we know she's the queen of the accents. True. But, and she's, but she yeah. has said that this was her hardest accent I was reading. Oh, oh I believe I it. think yeah. some interview people have talked to her about her accents and she said this was the most challenging to master. Yeah. Yeah. And she yeah, definitely I mastered think... it. I, I buy it. Absolutely. She definitely delivers there. So I, I dig it. Well, I'm gonna uh, I piggybacking off of you a lot today. Um, I gotta give the hand claps to two claps to Meryl Streep there for the accent. Uh, I know myself the only accent that I truly cannot deliver ever is the Australian accent, but I can say because of her, that was my baby daughter. <laughs> I can say that because of Meryl Streep <laughs> in that movie. That's about it, baby daughter. Um, but. Outside of that, I'm going to be the Lone Ranger here. Outside of the accent, Meryl Streep doesn't do shit for me here. Mm -hmm. um, by this time, she this she was on her eighth nomination. This is her sixth in just this decade alone. Right. This is her last one of this decade. So we already know that the Academy by this point has an infatuation with Meryl Streep. Um, I don't think this is her worst nominated performance by any means, but... Was she nominated for the performance or the accent work here is what I have to ask myself. Um, <laughs> I don't think oh, she was nominated just because accent. I do um, agree with, with Brandon on this one too. Definitely plays like like a Lifetime kind of TV movie. Yeah, if for anyone, sure. The movie if, itself. 
if anyone other than Meryl had played Lindy Chamberlain, just would have been like a run-of-the-mill courtroom drama. Yeah. I think she she really brings something to this movie to elevate it. Can we talk about those horrible eyebrows? <laughs> oh, my God. And her iconic haircut. Oh, but yeah, her, her haircut actually looks like our mic... Um, our mics, our mics right now. They have uh, what? What do you call this? Like the mic covering? Uh, the 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 windscreen. Yeah, is that like what it's the called? windscreen. I don't know, but it kind of looks like that. Anyway, I only, I only have a degree. In it. I don't know what it's <laughs> called. Um, yeah, this is. I mean, this is a very strong lineup for this year. But I only say it's strong for Mel because of the accent work. So good. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Which is funny because like there's this there's this gay on Twitter by the name of Louis Vertel who yes. like stands this performance so hard. And actually, I wouldn't say got into it with him, but I had a few tweets back and forth one night with him. And he's like, but Meryl Streep. And I'm like, bitch, that's that accent that you love. Like, that's it. Like, there's, I just, I don't see it. I, um, it's strong. She's strong in this category for the accent work, but other than that, it does nothing for me. Okay. So moving on though, Craig, do you want to add anything to Meryl before we move on? I'm sorry. Add it about what? Do you want to add anything about Meryl before we move on? Oh, no. Meryl, Meryl was great. Meryl, Muriel, Merle. All right. So finally, our final nominee of that year is Glenn Close as the Marquis de Martel in, um, I almost said Fatal Attraction, in Dangerous Liaisons. Um, going into this, again, like Michelle Pfeiffer, she had the BAFTA nomination for actress, but it was a year after the fact. This is Glenn's fifth of seven nominations. We saw her in three supporting roles in the early 80s with The World According to Garp, The Natural, and The Big Chill. Not in that order, as I fucked that up right now. And then we had just uh, seen her the year before in her first leading nomination for uh, Fatal Attraction. She would follow this nomination with Albert Nobbs, and then just last week with uh, The Wife. Um, Perennial bridesmaid. Yes, uh-huh. yes. Uh, but yeah, going into Oscar night, she had nothing but the BAFTA nom, but that followed a year later, so really she didn't have anything. And Dangerous Liaisons, um, the Marquise de Motel is kind of the the queen chess player of this glorious game of sexual seduction that is happening in this movie between John Malkovich's character and um, Uma Thurman and Michelle Pfeiffer. Um uh, Glenn plays kind of like the hierarchy rich woman who has a very, very long fall from fame to what's the word I want to use? Um, infamy, maybe? To infamy. That's um, good. Yeah. That, that's a great way to put that. Um, so why don't you start us off, Brandon? Um, so I like Glenn Close a lot, a lot more than Joey does. Um, and I love her <laughs> in this role. Um, I think this is... This is sort of close at her best. Um, she, a lot of the stuff that she's really good at is highlighted here in this movie. She's super great at being icy and evil and manipulative. manipulative. Um, and she's just on display. Every talent she has, that she has is on display in this, in this role. And this is such a fun, juicy role for her without being too showy either. Because mm. this is, it's not a super like powerhouse performance per se. But it's a role that, like, you're captivated by the entire time. Like, I don't think I took one note while watching her performance because I was just so drawn in by her. Like, every little thing about her, her line deliveries and her mannerisms and the way she just controls the entire room that she's in. And I love her um, fall, her fall from grace at the end, which is just remarkable. Fall from grace, that's what I was yeah, looking for, by that, the way. That just came to me while yeah. I was talking. Um, yeah, I like Glenn Gloss in this a lot. Uh, Craig, what do you think? Uh I, I like her a lot as well. Um, that was my bad. 
<laughs> I hit the mic. I hit the mic with my pen. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I like I like this role. You know, it was it, it was something a bit different for her. Uh, you know, she was really entering into into leading lady territory. Although, you know, it, she would go quite a stretch between this and Albert Nobbs. Yeah. Right. Twenty two uh, years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At, in yeah, 20, 22 years in the Oscars. Um, but yeah, again, th- this is a year of very, you know, conflicted leading ladies that just are kind of intimidating and off-putting at times, with the exception of obviously of Melanie Griffith. Um, I'm. Did I lose you guys? No, no we're, we're here. here. We're here. Uh, okay, okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, again, you know, she's she she does what she does best. It's it's icy. It's calculated. You you really get get taken in by her, and but it's it's not it's not very showy, you know. And it, I think it, it it highlights the those talents of of her playing, you know, layered villainous people, but not are are they really are they really villains <laughs> are they are they victims of, of the time period or you know that they, even you know following it up a year before with as uh, alex forrest again you know glenn herself has always said she never saw her as a victim i mean sorry she never saw her as a villain she you know saw her as as more of a of a victim and as a woman trying to make it in the man's world in, in new york city in the 80s and you know, she doesn't have any of the explosive batshit moments of Alex Forrest in this movie, but she's, uh, it's, it's a joy to watch for sure. And now, Joe. So now the infamous, because this, again, I said earlier, we, we were filming this out of order. This is our first episode of season two that we're recording. Right. So this is the first from on record, even though this will premiere way after the other episodes of Glenn Close that I'm talking about Glenn Close. <laughs> but it's no secret. It's no secret in my circle Glenn that Glenn, Glenn Close is my least favorite actress of all time. I, all, I honestly call her the dollar store Jessica Lange because... I, I will say, like, people are always like, oh, Meryl Streep or Jessica Lange. I'm like, Jessica Lange, first of all. But um, I just don't like her. I don't think she's a good actress. I think she's hammy. I think she's overly overrated. I just, I don't think she's a good actress. But this is an amazing performance. This is my favorite of her performances. And I think if there's any of her seven nominations that were truly deserving, it's only this one. Of a win. I, of, a, of a win. Yeah. Oh, of a nomination. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't think she's a good actress. I don't think she should be nominated the way she is, but this is fantastic. Um, I would also like to point out that this is the best she's ever looked. For being for being 40 when this came out, she looks so goddamn young in this movie. It is insane. Um, I, I love her in this. I think she is perfectly conniving this is the type of evil that i wanted to see as nurse ratchet that i wanted to see as sigourney weaver in working girl this is diabolical this is fun she is so goddamn good um i i i don't if i don't like someone i will always give props where props are due and this is where props are due in my opinion um glenn close i don't think has done anything as good since or before in film in film she, I think she has much better roles on TV. I don't watch her just because I don't right. like her. Right. Um, <laughs> I heard that. So, 
You know, I, you know, this Dangerously Aizans is her best, in my opinion. If there was going to be one for her to win, I honestly could have seen it for this. Um, but yeah, I think she is fantastic, and I and I really do love the film, and I do love her in this. Mm-hmm. So, good for you, Glenn. Right. <laughs> Anyone else want to add before we start ranking? Um, I think we can jump into the ranking. I mean, more will come out when we talk Go about for it. How, oh, yeah. our reasonings. All right. Craig, you ready with your rankings? Uh, yes. All right, so Brandon, set us off. Okay, so just as a reminder, your nominees for the supporting actresses were Gina Davis in The Accidental Tourist, Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Liaisons, Joan Cusack in Working Girl, Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl, and Frances McDormand in Mississippi Burning. Mm-hmm. And my number five actress in the supporting category goes to Gina Davis, our winner for the year. Um, I don't find this character or performance particularly interesting. Um, I hear what you guys were saying about questioning her placement. I think she's right on the line any more screen time, and she definitely would have been a co-lead with William Hurt. But um, what it really comes down to for me is I just don't find this character or the performance compelling in any way. It's just kind of a decent performance in a very not good movie. So she's my five. Craig? Um, my five is Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Liaisons. Um, just, I, I just wasn't that, he's just not that into you, you know, I, I just wasn't, I, I'm just kind of bored and kind of frustrated by when she was on screen. And I, I, again, I'm not saying it's a bad performance, but considering the others and, and in that film too, and, and the lack of love for Uma Thurman, who was really the true like kind of breakout supporting role in that movie. I'm, I don't know, I'm always kind of a bit confused by this nomination, but that being said, you know, um, of the five, I, I, I do like Michelle Pfeiffer. I think she's talented, but she's my five. Heard that, and I'm going to follow up your five with my five, which is Gina Davis as well. Um, I do consider her lead. I don't... I would. Oh, you okay there? Well, Sorry. <laughs> what is that? Are you okay? That was a car alarm. <laughs> Heard. Okay, so yeah, so my five is Gina Davis. Um, in my eyes, she's the lead. Also, too, she's just not good in this. Um, I don't like it. I, this is a head scratcher of a of a win, and yeah, I don't think she should have won. So she's my five. Okay. Um, my number four is going to be Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Liaisons. Love Michelle Pfeiffer. Don't love her in this role. Um, I just didn't believe her in it. She never stopped being Michelle Pfeiffer for me, and she never really became the character for me. Um, so yeah, she's my four for that reason. And yeah, I agree with you, uh, Craig. Uma Thurman would have been a better supporting nomination. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that, for that reason, Michelle Pfeiffer is my four. So Craig, who's your four? Oh, my four? Uh, Gina Davis uh, for Accidental Tourist. And for kind of the... The reasons you guys mentioned too i don't want to get too repetitive but um it's you know first of all we say it's, it's really not a supporting performance it's not a good movie it's not an enjoyable movie she doesn't do anything to support the storyline or the other performances it's 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 kind of a you know draggy non-captivating film and she's just, you know, it's just kind of mediocre. She's like, ooh, you know, the, the eccentric, like, quirky savior person that 
you know, it's it's just pleasant. It's enjoyable. It's it's not an Oscar performance for me. Heard that. Well, I'm kind of going to break the wave here a little bit. I'm actually putting Sigourney Weaver as my number four. For Working Girl. For Working Girl. Um, this was, this was a, a weird decision for me, but I mainly kind of stick to my guns on it because I just don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I... This is just not, in my opinion, her best work. Um, again, I, I, can, I guess I understand the nomination, but even the Golden Globe win, I was like, no, ma'am. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I kind of said my piece on it. I don't, again, I don't, hate, I don't hate her, but I don't like this role for sure. her. So. Okay. Well, my number three is going to be Sigourney Weaver for Working Girl. Um, I also don't dislike her in this role. Um, she definitely does have her Sigourney Weaver branded techniques that I'm kind of figuring out as we were going through this episode. Um, and I don't, I think her hamminess, for lack of a better word, kind of works in this performance due to the nature of the character. Um, I kind of just bought into it because of who she's supposed to be in the business world. So I didn't find it off-putting in any way, but I don't find her quite as compelling or as interesting as the other two that I have remaining in this lineup. So for those reasons, Sigourney Weaver is my number three in Working Girl. So Craig, who's your number three? My number three is also Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl, (laughs) surprisingly (laughs) enough. Um, I do like her. I mostly, mostly (laughs) find her believable. There are certain moments where, you know, she injects life into this character and and it's certainly not a completely you know it's not a i wouldn't call it a one-dimensional character um but that being said you know and like i said you know i i follow her pretty extensively and i know i i I know kind of who she is and i think a lot of the time she's kind of just having fun and kind of being sigourney here and uh I, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it seemed apparently at the time that it was like her best shot. She, people really thought she was going to win for this. And I, I'm not I, I'm not devastated that she didn't win for it. <laughs> heard that, heard that. Um, I'm giving third place to Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, just because while, yes, I agree with everything you guys have said about Michelle Pfeiffer, at least acting-wise, she drew me in a little bit more than Sigourney. Maybe not by much, but... Yeah, I think she's she's a tad bit better than Sigourney Weaver in this lineup, but not by much. Okay. All right. So. So we all do we all have Francis McDormand? We all and Joe yeah, Cusack. We all have Francis and Joan oh, as our final thing. Okay. So, um, Craig, you'll hear how he does the second, and then obviously you t- do the first, but just listen to him, and then, and then just go in for your. Uh, so am I going to do my two and one? Yeah. Or, okay. Do, yeah. So my number two goes to Francis McDormand for Mississippi Burning, which means I'm giving the win to Joan Cusack for a Working Girl. Um, Francis is really good in Mississippi Burning. I'm not a huge fan of the movie. It kind of rubs me the wrong way in a lot of ways, but I really like her performance in it. I find her very sincere, and she's definitely a compelling actress. She's an actress that really draws your eye, especially in a movie like this, Mm -hmm. where she is by design supposed to be different from everyone else in this town. And um, it's a great first nomination for her, but she gets my runner-up, because Joan Cusack in Working Girl is just fucking amazing. She's 
I love Working Girl, but I still would say Joan Cusack is the best thing about it. She has the best lines. She's hilarious. I want to be her. I want to be her friend. And it's a true supporting character. She's, there's no doubt about it. And she does her work and makes the movie better. Better than it already is on its own. No. So for that reason, uh, Joan Cusack is my win for Working Girl. So Craig, who are your two, who's your two and one? All right. So, you know, having in the past couple of weeks, you know, having to had rewatch some of these movies, I'm, I, I didn't think this would ever be the, <laughs> be my ranking on this, but, um, my number two is Joan Cusack. Ooh, wow. We just took a bet too. <laughs> and my number one is Francis McDormand. Interesting. Um, I think, I, I think, take it. I, I can't. I'm, I'm kind of shocked. I'm saying this because it, yeah, it's been so long since I've seen Mississippi Burning, um, and Accidental Tourist, and you know, and several of these films. But uh, yeah, all the all things said about Joan, she's great. She's enjoyable, believable. Um, she she really kind of she's really kind of the heart of the film. And she, like like Joe said before, she she's truly does what a supporting actress is supposed to do. She's yeah, she's you know the best friend that you want, and kick ass job, you know. But um, I, I really, in, in seeing Mississippi Burning again, really was blown away by Frances McDormand. And you know, again, I, I tempered it even earlier by saying, you know, maybe. My reasoning is is that I'm so used to seeing her in these in these different types of roles that it was just so awesome to see a young young Frances McDormand um, in such a I don't I don't, don't want to say pitiful but in, in such a sad kind of a compromised you know, position. Oh. Yeah, state that you really feel for and like then right, like you want her to get out of this and like she's around all these despicable people that you know, like she says, you know, you don't you're not born like this, but you're taught it and you marry it and you know she's she's only in it a little, but I I I was like my I was like glued to her in in her scenes and you know seeing her as a as a southern wife of, of a deputy it was it, it was so refreshing to rewatch that and Francis gets my vote that definitely took me by surprise, I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so my final two then is also Francis McDormand and Joan Cusack. Um, it, it should come to no surprise to anybody that in this conversation that my number two is Francis McDormand while I'm giving the Oscar to Joan Cusack. Um, I will say, though, that I, for years I've been Team Joan in this one, although like Craig rewatching Burning or Mississippi Burning, I actually switched them before a couple days ago before we had done this podcast. And then I thought about it and I was like, no. Mm -hmm. I've always said it and it's my theme. If you can do comedy right, you get the Oscar. And Joan does comedy right here. Um, I couldn't take that away from her. Um, regarding Frances, though, I got to give her props because she moved me to where I switched, even if it was very temporarily. Um, I don't want to use my tie here just because I, I don't feel like it's worth a tie, in my opinion. But 
I will say Joan beats her very minimally. Mm-hmm. Minimally. Just like how Michelle beat Sigourney very minimally. Um, but I think these are two very, very solid performances. Um, Joan Cusick as a whole. Am I the only one who wants an entire Sin movie? Well, just of Joan Cusack? <laughs> like, that would be awesome. Like, if we're going to do a spinoff and a sequel to Working Girl, it better be Sin. Uh-huh. I'm just saying. She's Make, fantastic. Making her way in the world. Yes. And I want I want the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. I want the hair. I want the eyelashes. I want the, 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 the blue eyeshadow. The blue eyeshadow. The <laughs> I want, and I want her dancing around in her underwear to Madonna. Right. That's so, how the movie opens. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, I'd give it to Joan Cusack. I also give it to Joan Cusack. And I give to Francis. Perfect. Now, moving on to lead actress. Um... Just to recap, our nominees that year were Meryl Streep in A Cry in the Dark, Glenn Close in Dangerous Liaisons, Sigourney Weaver in Gorillas in the Mist, The Adventures of Diane Fossey, Jodie Foster in The Accused, and Melanie Griffith in Working Girl. Um, I'm going to say, starting off with my number five, I'm going to give the final or the last spot to Meryl Streep in A Cry in the Dark. Um, again, just because I can't figure out if she's nominated here for her actual performance or for her really, really good Australian accent. Um, I'm going to say it's the accent. So with that, I'm giving her my fifth spot. Okay. I will give my fifth spot to Jodie Foster for mm-hmm. The Accused. So I'm giving both the winners the fifth spot this year. You did. Um, I don't think Jodie's bad in this. I just, this movie kind of hasn't really aged well. Like I was watching it kind of cringing a little bit at the way it handled a lot of the material. And um, it's not a particularly good movie by any means. And, um, yeah, I think I agree with what you guys are saying. She's borderline supporting. You take out that flashback, she's definitely the supporting. Yeah. I don't think it's quite category fraud. She's right on the line for me. But with the rest of this lineup and all the things I have against that movie and, I guess, Foster's performance, she gets the fifth spot for me. So, Craig, who's your number five? Um, my number five is Melanie Griffith. And We were all very different. Yeah. <laughs> While Ooh, I think she's... Me. Fine, and I don't, I can't think of anyone who I would have replaced her nomination with. Um, just given the strong uh, field of leading ladies, and um, again, you know, not, not that she does a bad job, but I, I think she, she at times seems a, a bit in over her head. And I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm not talking about Tess. I'm just saying of her being up against, you know, the talents of Joan and Harrison and Sigourney. They, they kind of dwarf her at times. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Melanie actually was the third build she was, in the yeah. movie. I forgot to mention that. That's true. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy, too, right? She's the lead of the movie, but the third build. Yeah, I wrote that down in my notes. Yeah, I forgot to mention it, but I noticed that in the credits, too, and I was like, that is fascinating. It was Har- Harrison got top billing, right? That one was on to me, putting Harrison I think, first. I think it must have been going in order of star power or yeah. something. Yeah, absolutely, and not screen time or anything. Yeah. Um, because she's obviously the lead of the movie, but yeah, she is the working um, girl. <laughs> you know. But nevertheless, unfortunately, I number five goes to Melanie. Heard. Well, I see your number five, Melanie, and I'm actually giving my fourth spot to Jodie Foster of that year. Um, I just, I kind of touched everything I wanted to on this reviewing it. I don't know. I just, I find her performance very silly. I kind of find her miscast for sure. Um. 
while she is better than Meryl's Australian accent, I just... She doesn't do much for me, so number four for Jodie Foster. Okay. My number four goes to Melanie Griffith. Um, I, I don't think she's bad in this, but I agree that she does get dwarfed at times. Um, she's definitely surrounded by some real serious talent, and um, I don't think Melanie Griffith, is, as good as she is in this role, and as much as I like her in this role... I don't think she's that strong of an actress. I'm very happy for her for getting this nomination. Yeah. But and I love this movie, but I'm not completely sold on it. I'm very I'm not gonna give it an Oscar by any means. Um, so I'm gonna give it my four, considering also who I have left in this lineup. Heard that, Greg. Number four for me is Jodie Foster, um, and for some aforementioned reasons, um, it's. It's kind of a messy performance. It's it's it, it's got some juice to it, but it's not something that's so powerful that you're like it, it's it's not like you know a, a jaw dropping transformation. It's not a Charlize in Monster. Um, and while the material, the relevance, you know, of of rape and sexual assault that is obviously not dated by any means. Uh, as Brandon said, this movie is very 80s. I mean, Working Girl is too, let's be honest. But um, yeah, there's there's something dated and and it, it hedges on a supporting performance. She's strong, but she's my number four. Heard that. And number three that year, I'm giving it to Melanie Griffith. Um, I clearly like her better than you guys do in Working Girl. <laughs> I think she's a lot of fun. I think, again, this is the best work that Melanie has ever and will ever get. Um, I think she took a very one-note character, and instead of making her sympathetic, she was like, nope, I'm a boss-ass bitch. I just, the only thing I wish would have changed was that fucking hair. Mm. I think she should have kept the hair the same. But I like her in this. I think she's good, but with who's left, I just can't... I couldn't give her the win for this, mm-hmm. but she's up there for me. Okay. My number three goes to Sigourney Weaver for Gorillas in the Mist. Um, wasn't crazy about this performance. I think I probably liked this performance the least of the three of us. I really liked her in like the final act of the movie where she goes really dark and becomes this like dark boss lady mm-hmm. trying to take over the jungle and save the gorillas. Um, I wish the movie had been more of that, although I'm sure that probably would have been, you know, historically inaccurate but um yeah i was really digging her toward the end and that's the that's the sort of compelling performance i had been hoping for the entire time so that transformation was kind of refreshing but i wasn't completely sold on it all the way through so she gets my third heard that yeah and craig who's your number three leading lady three uh for me would also be um, so just kidding. Uh, I literally three. thought I was like <laughs> Joey almost died. My 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 eye grew there for a moment. It's like there's no just way. Fucking with you. Um, I give a three to Glenn Close. Um, that actually took me by surprise too. Yeah. She. Yeah. Um, three goes to Glenn Close. Uh, what? Certainly one one of her strongest. Um, great period piece. Great film um it uh, she she doesn't quite you know it 
edge out the, the two that I have as one and two. Um, again, because it's somewhat of an ensemble piece and she's definitely, she's definitely the puppeteer, the architect. She, it's, it's one of those, you know, delicious type of roles. Um, and, and she's commanding and I, I love when she's on screen in this film Again, also, I keep repeating myself, but again, I, I don't think Uma Thurman was given nearly enough uh, love for this film. Or even uh, Susie Kurtz. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot she was in that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I can see why she's the designated leading lady, and it's a very good performance, and she's number three. Well, for uh, my two left, which clearly you guys like Meryl Streep a lot more than I do in this year. Um, but I have Glenn Close and Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. And then you guys have who? I have Glenn Close and Meryl Streep. I have Meryl Streep in number two and Sigourney Weaver. Wait, did, wait, did you just tell us your, your rankings? <laughs> I don't think, not necessarily. Uh, no, not necessarily. Oh, okay. I was like, wait a minute, I'm so confused. Okay, so um, this is the year that I give it the, all my props to Glenn Close on performance-wise. Um, however, she's my runner-up as I'm giving the Oscar this year to Sigourney Weaver for Gorillas in the Mist. Um, I'll start with Glenn. Glenn, again, a.k.a. Dollar Store Jessica Lang, in my opinion, is this is the best she's ever going to do on film. I think this is so strong. Her breakdown at the end of it, not even her breakdown, this the facial acting she does in this movie um, whether it be where she's shamed at the opera or when she's taking off the makeup in the boudoir, I'm just, I'm, I'm hooked. I like it. I think she's really fucking good. And she would be my winner if Sigourney Weaver had not been here this year for Gorillas in the Mist. Um, Sigourney sold me on the story of Diane Fossey, whether it be Diane Fossey herself or not. She sold me, um... I think this is the best work Sigourney Weaver's ever done. I wish she would return to the Oscar stage. And yeah, I think 89 belonged to Sigourney in lead. Okay. Brandon. So I have uh, Meryl Streep and Glenn Close left. Um, I am giving my runner-up for the year to Meryl Streep for Cry in the Dark, and I'm giving the win to Glenn Close for Dangerous Liaisons. Um, I really like the work that Meryl's doing here in Cry in the Dark. I think she's more than just an accent. I find this character really complex and interesting, especially given the dynamic between her and her husband and the way the media gets involved and how the movie becomes a battle between the Chamberlains versus the court, the Chamberlains versus the police, the Chamberlains versus the media. And um, I like that you can't really ever know what's in her mind and she's constantly fighting against the way everyone's trying to tell her to go and she refuses to do it even if it means she's going to go to jail for the rest of her life. And I just find that super interesting. But Glenn Close and Dangerous Liaisons is super complex. It's the probably the best film performance we've ever had from Glenn Close. Certainly the best nominated performance we've ever had for, from her at the Oscars. I just am completely drawn in by this performance. I think I mentioned I didn't take like one note while she was on screen because I'm just so fascinated by what she's doing with her face and with her voice and the way she just commands the room and basically drives that entire movie, even if she's not in the scene. She has a presence. And 
that's a testament to Glenn Close and how powerful she is in this role. So Agreed. she gets my win for the year and lead. Heard that. Craig, who you got? Okay, so my runner-up is Meryl Streep for A Cry in the Dark. Um, she's, you know, she's a masterful actor and as great as, or as much as she did for the outward appearance, physicality, and, um, you know, vocal and accent choices um, or technique, uh, her inner work is also fantastic, as Brandon said. Um, you know, looking at her face, it, it, it's, it's very nuanced, very unsettling in, in, in a great way, <laughs> for me at least, as the, the viewer, and um, pretty mesmerizing. And, uh, but that being said, the top prize for me, the Oscar that year, should have gone to Sigourney Weaver for Girls in the Mist. And, you know, again, a very, a very complicated woman and the definition of a leading performance. I mean, there's almost no other people in Girls in the Mist. I mean, like, it is so much her. It's almost a one woman show with, with a bunch of gorillas and um, you know, she, she really, you can tell how meticulously she prepared for this. And while she, as all good actors do, you know, in, in her, in her voice, even, even in the parts that, you know, you said sounded kind of a, a little much like when she said, Oh no. And, you know, she, she, like all good actors do, like all great actors do, she, you know, she's brought some of herself into this, but still, still stayed true to this very complex, controversial, real-life person and really draws you in the whole time, for me at least. And, and really, I mean, really makes you care. I mean, I still, I still cry every time when she breaks down in Sembagari's arms after, after Digit's murder. Mm-hmm. I got to agree with you on that one. I rewatched that you know, in preparation for this, and I found myself reaching for my blanket to wipe away tears. Yeah, I think she's good. I, I, I agree with you. I can dig it. Mm-hmm. So we had two agreements for Joan Cusack between Brandon and I, yes. and then two agreements with, with Craig between yes. him and I for Sigourney. That's cool. So It's cool that we didn't all say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's really interesting how um, people respond differently to different performances. Mm-hmm. There's some things about a performance that draw people in, yeah. and then there's things about the exact same thing about a performance that will completely push someone else away. I just find yeah. that super fascinating. Well, it's fun, too, because we've done one season, we've done ten full episodes with just you and me, yes. and so bringing Craig in, even though it's not the season premiere with 1980, it's the first episode that we've done with someone else, so it's, yeah. it's, it's nice to get another dynamic in there. Um, Craig, do you have fun? Was it? Yes, it was a pleasure. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been a great time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. Do you, um, I know I mentioned a little bit, but do you have anything you'd like to plug in that I didn't mention when we uh, introduced you? Um, no, just just watch Godless, and that's Godless starring Craig Jordan, not the Jeff Daniels one. And um, I'm, I'll keep you all posted. I'm working on uh, writing a couple things. I got my my slasher film that I that I want your uh, expert eyes uh, advice on, Joe. And, uh, yes. <laughs> um, and when I know when my Dear White People episode airs, uh, I'll let you know sometime in season three. 
Awesome, awesome. Craig, stay with us for a moment. Thank you again so much for having us. Or, wow. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Uh, Brandon, do you have anything else you want to add before we head out? No, it's been a really great year, and thanks for uh, talking about it, about it with us, Craig. Yes, Craig, you will have to join us um, again. I want you back for the season four premiere for the 2000 episode with almost famous Aaron Brockovich and Mark Ring for a Dream. So you, you have to got come it. Back. You have to come back. I'd love to have you back on. Um, you got it. All right. Again, my name is Joey Gentili. I'm Brandon Stanwick. And this has been the 1988 episode of Academy Queens, your LGBT look into the Academy Awards per decade, per, per category. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. All right.